Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Help us to remember to hold to our hope without wavering. That's in verse 23, as you can read there on the projector. To motivate one another to acts of love and good works in verse 24. And finally in verse 25, to come together for encouragement. All of these things are important, and the last one of these are the things, is the thing that we want to look at and think about just a little bit more this morning together in our worship assembly with one another. One of the highest duties of every Christian is to encourage. No matter where you go in life, no matter what current station you already are given or have, no matter how old you might grow to be, it is always proper to remember to encourage. It is one of the great Christian duties that is often overlooked and disregarded. And I'd like for us to take a little bit more time this morning to digest some of what the Bible teaches about encouragement. And to do that, we'll be going to Acts chapter 4. So if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 4... Continue some thoughts that we began last week out of the book of Acts. We think just a little bit more about that together today. Great to see everybody here today. If you're a guest with us, as has already been said, we're very happy that you are here. And we encourage you to come back anytime that you're able. If you're using the, the pew Bible there that is in front of you, if you didn't bring a Bible this morning or maybe don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use that one. And if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you when you go. We love to spread God's Word. And if you don't have a copy of that, then we'd love for you to have that. So if you're using that this morning, it's page 1083 and 1084 to find the, the section of Acts that we're looking at together today. We have a lot of people gone today. Did you notice? I think they're traveling. All this last minute stuff before school starts maybe. Others are ill and uh, pray for them. But we have a, a good number of guests with us today and we are so happy uh, that you're here. Happy to see all the members that are able to be here as well today. Are you there? I waited for you. If you're not there, you're behind. You've got to get there right now because we're getting ready to read. Acts chapter 4, and let's look at beginning at verse 34 of our text. We begin reading together here of the early church in Jerusalem for just a moment. Acts 4 verse 34, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it, to, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each one as any had need. Isn't that fantastic? Think on that for just a second. If you were in need, uh, you were one of these members in need, and you, you were there in Jerusalem for the Passover, and you heard the good news of Christ, and you obeyed that good news, uh, that you're not left out there on your own. There's, a, there, uh, there's this family of God. And they're willing to assist in whatever way you might have need while you're there in Jerusalem. Verse 36, thus Joseph, who was a Levite, that tells us, uh, well, I skipped a line there. Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, which tells us he's a Jew, and a, a native of Cyprus, which tells us he came from a Greek territory. He sold a field that belonged to him and bought, uh, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, 
That term encouragement, son of encouragement, that term encouragement, according to Webster, is simply defined as one who inspires with hope. One who gives hope to another is the idea. The Greek terminology goes much deeper than that. It is way more effective in understanding the full concept of that word, the desire of God in that word, putting that word before us. He would go on to explain there in the, in the Greek context, it is to give consolation or comfort, solace. It is to give refreshment to another. Even more than that, to instill courage or assurance in another. Courage. It's a major idea behind this word that we're looking at. In courage. Courage is obviously built in. One who gives courage to another or assurance. To give support or confidence in what we say or do toward another. The text says Joseph was a man who did these things in the mind of the apostles. And they nickname him. Some people have nicknames that they don't want anybody else to share. They don't want to share that with anybody. I thought about a guy that I knew growing up whose name uh, was, uh, was Twinkie. And, and that's probably not a nickname everybody wants to share with another person. I've heard of nicknames like Porkchop or calling a lady Amazon or, or another person Shorty or another person Big Mac. You know, all these are nicknames. Sometimes nicknames can be discouraging. Sometimes nicknames are encouraging. Angie likes to call me Fabio. <laughs> and if you know who that is and you've seen him, then you, you get the resemblance. I understand. But you know, Joseph's nickname here is, is encouragement. One born out of or from encouragement. What a nickname that would be, especially by someone you esteem highly, like those who represent Jesus himself. Another direct, direct uh, connection through Jesus, the way that the apostles had that. I mean, that would be a great name for anybody to have, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be a, a great name for the apostles to name you or to name me? One of born from encouragement. Before you think that that idea is not important, please think again. It is so important among God's people. Every one of us should be children of encouragement. But not all things were encouraging in that day, and that's what makes this so fantastic. That they were, though, in a position of not being encouraged in some areas of life, they found encouragement in other areas of life. And I'd just like for you to make the note of that because one has to do with light and the other has to do with darkness. In darkness, there's found discouragement. In light, there is found encouragement. And the difference that we're seeing here is that very thing. In the world, there's bad things happening at this very moment. In fact, at this very moment, Peter and John have already been arrested and persecution against Christians has already begun. Now, I want you to make note of something else. There's not much time between the beginning of the book of Acts and Acts chapter 4. Very short period of time. Literally, a matter of weeks. And so when we come to chapter 4, verse 2, we see some good things happening. They were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And many of those who heard the word believed and were numbered, uh, of the, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. 
5,000. Well, that's pretty great. 5,000 people now. We, we, we saw last week 3,000 members of the first church of Christ in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 41. Now here we're reading of 5,000 members in chapter 4, verse 4. And most of these are... New, uh, these new members are people from other countries or even other territories, as we, as we might note from chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. But, uh, but it's from this context that a problem arises. And it's not just persecution. In addition to persecution, there is a sense of uh, a problem of homelessness. There's a problem of a lack of, of actual sustenance in order to be able to survive. And so, verse 32, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but that everything, but they had everything in common. Discouraging things happening out there in the world, there's persecution. There's a lack of employment because Jerusalem had been flooded from the day of Pentecost when all the people of God would come together at one place at one time. They hear the gospel. They're going to stay. They stay for a while because that's where the gospel is being proclaimed through the apostles. They want to be part of all that, hear all of that, grow in all of that. So they don't want to go back home. What do you do with a church that doesn't have enough Money among its members for those individual members to survive. Uh, Acts chapter 4, that's what you do. I mean, just what we're reading right here in the text, that's what family does. Family will care for family. Family will see to family. And this is the context in which Barnabas, or Joseph, sells a field in verse 37 that belonged to him, and he, bought the mo- he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas is introduced to us as a man of monetary supply. And I want to say to you, if you're a person in need, that is an encouraging thing for you. That's, that was encouraging to the people who made up that first church there in Jerusalem who didn't have enough for somebody like Barnabas to come along, sell something that he had possession of just in order to, to give you a, a means to survive. Barnabas is introduced to us as a great encouragement to the church in Jerusalem. I want you to see how it is that we read nothing there in that text of of God telling him to do that. Barnabas, you've got to go do this. Talk to one of the apostles, and the apostles come to Barnabas and say, Barnabas, God talked to me, and he says this. This is what you have to do. That doesn't even exist in the text. He does it of his own free will. His own love for people, some of which he probably didn't even know. And it's just stated as a matter of fact, the story of Barnabas in this is just stated as a matter of fact. And then we don't read anything more about Barnabas until we come to chapter 9. So turning there to chapter 9 of your text, let's continue thinking along the lines of the, the dissecting of this man's life and looking at how it is, the, why it is that he would be called the son of encouragement. Chapter 9, the first part of chapter 9 is about an important man's uh, salvation. And this important man's name is Saul. He is from the place of Tarsus. Born and raised as a Jewish zealot, uh, fervent for doing what he believed to be the will of God in Judaism. 
He stands out among his contemporaries, and he was notorious as a persecutor, a killer of Christians. In fact, he is on his way at this very moment in this chapter to find any Christians in the city of Damascus and to do them harm. Just for the point of bringing harm to them. He is stopped by Jesus, as you may be familiar with, if you're familiar with, the Saul, with Saul's story. He's struck down there on the road. Many people would say he's saved there. It's not true. The Bible never has said that. It never will say that. He is told what he must do. And what he must do is be led by, hand, by the hand by those men who were with him, his, his servants, to, into Damascus and wait there for a man to come and talk to him. And that man's name is Ananias. And so Ananias is talked about in chapter 9, looking there at verse 17, and he lays his hands on Saul and he says, Saul, brother Saul, brothers as in the sense of Judaism, not as in the sense of spiritual brothers at this point, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God was not yet in Saul. That's what we learn. God had not placed his self into Saul. He was not yet saved. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized. Now Saul talks about this from his own perspective in Acts chapter 22 in much greater detail. And it's in that greater detail we find that Ananias actually says to Saul, why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. Now that's what burned into Saul's mind when he heard Ananias talking. As Luke writes of it here, he's just giving a synopsis. And so from that we're to understand Saul becomes a Christian. And in taking food, verse 19, he was strengthened and for some days he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed, look at that, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Those were, those were his people. That's the leaders of the Jews that meet in those places. That's who he used to be. He used to fight for them and fight against Christianity. Here he is in the synagogues proclaiming Christianity, that Jesus actually is the Messiah. Uh, then we read down in verse 21, continuing in our thoughts. After a past like his, who's going to accept Saul? Verse 21 says, All who heard him were amazed, and they said, Is not this the man who make, made havoc in Jerusalem? So those who, uh, of those who called on his name... And has he not come here for the same purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? What is the saying that we have all heard at some time or another? You can't change a, a leopard's spots, can you? Fortunately, Paul is not a leopard, neither have you and I ever been one, and God might not change a leopard spots, but he changes people's projections. He changes where we go. He changes our future. He makes our life something better than it ever could be without him in it. In fact, we are told that because of a plot to kill uh, Saul in Damascus, he narrowly escapes with his life and he heads to Jerusalem. Verse 26, when he had come to Jerusalem... 
the place where he is most famous for his evil against Christians, which seems crazy to me. That would be the last place it seemed like he'd want to go. But, they, but see, Paul, uh, Saul is in, has a great fervent desire to bring those who were in Judaism to, to Christ. To bring them to Christianity. Well, where else then would you go except to the Mecca where all of that exists? He goes back to his old stomping ground, the place that he, that he went to school and with all the, all the connections that he had there. And he attempts to join himself to the disciples. And it's important, if you don't already have the word attempt underlined or highlighted, that you do that. Because that's exactly what he's only doing. He's only attempting, but it's not happening. It's not going to happen for Saul. They're all afraid of him, the text says. It tells us explicitly. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. This would include the apostles in Jerusalem. The brethren were of Christ, but did not believe he was. And I can't blame them. Who would? Would you? Would I? I tell you, the only way we would is if we were more like Barnabas than all the other Christians who were in Jerusalem. Barnabas stands out in regard to this. Barnabas does what no one else will do. Barnabas takes steps out of encouraging that no one else is willing to take. Paul describes his past as a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor against the Christians in 1 Timothy 1.13. But notice verse 27, but Barnabas, man, those were important words to the beginning of that text. This one guy is fixing to make all the difference in the kingdom. Barnabas took him and he brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. He took him, he brought him. And he declared something about him. When we read of God ask, uh, 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 when we read of this, do we read of God asking Barnabas to do this? Just like we asked in the previous point. Did one of the apostles hear from the Lord, because that was the only way they were receiving anything from God at that time, was through the apostles in the New Covenant century. So he, he, the, one of the apostles hear from God, and they go to Barnabas and say, Barnabas, you need to bring Saul, because that's what God has told us. We don't read anything, do we? Barnabas does this of his own volition. How he thought differently than the world. Is there some underlying reason that Barnabas would do this? I mean, some personal benefit to him? Does he get better prestige? Is there money involved? I mean, what's the reason? I mean, really, what would be the reason to do this for anybody? Especially somebody like Saul. How easy it would have been for Barnabas to have just simply deferred to one of the apostles. Well, you know what? They're our leaders. They're the apostles. If something needs to be done, they'll take care of that. Or maybe one of the older faithful members. How easy it is, brothers and sisters, for us to defer whatever doesn't seem comfortable to somebody else that's supposed to be comfortable with it. Before all the skeptics, Barnabas is the only one who steps up, takes action, and speaks out for this one who's downtrodden. 
who was everything to everyone, and now he's dirt. His own people don't like him, and neither do the new Christians. Jews won't, the, the religious Jews won't accept him, and the new Christians won't accept him. I can tell you of a church which once existed, as some churches still do today, where anyone coming in from a different background were looked at with evil suspicions by some existing members in that church. They're distrusted, they were disbelieved, and sometimes even put out. I've seen Christians rejected by other Christians who wouldn't shake the hand of one trying to join those other Christians. Who wouldn't welcome outsiders. You know what the church needs when it exists like that? It needs courageous people who could wear the nickname Barnabas. Because that kind of person makes all the difference in the kingdom of God. Sometimes that kind of person is few and far between. What a lesson that is taught by Barnabas to the apostles of Jesus Christ. The apostles. What a lesson that is taught by Barnabas to the church at Jerusalem that was not willing to be the Barnabas that Barnabas was. What a lesson that is learned by God's people still today. Barnabas was an encourager as he endorsed and he took in one who no one else would. Are you falling in love with Barnabas? You know what? Everybody falls in love with Barnabas' people because they are encouragers like no one, like no one else. Well, that's the person I want to be. I'm asking you the question this morning, the person that you want to be. Barnabas encouraged with his endorsement of Saul. Barnabas encouraged with regard to teamwork as well. I'd like for you to jump now to chapter 11. Chapter 11 of Acts. Now those who were scattered because of the per <clears throat> pardon me, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and, Cy and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now make note of that. It's a very prejudiced thing for them to be doing at this time. But in their defense, they didn't know any better. Because up to this point, God's people were the Jewish people. And that's what all the Jewish people believed, unless you were proselyted into Judaism. So all of us, most of us, I should say, who are, maybe all of us who are here this morning, we're all Gentile. We wouldn't have been included in that. We're Gentile people. It wasn't about skin color. It was about religion. And there was great distinction to be made there between the two. So they're just teaching only to Jews, people who are already people of God who needed to come to a better understanding of God's way, causing them to be Christians up to this point. But, verse 20, we see a breakthrough for the Gentiles. <laughs> thank, thank God for that, right? To the Gentiles, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also. That's Jewish people who understood the religion of the Jews. I mean, uh, that was Gentile people who understood the religion of the Jews. Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church at Jerusalem. Now they're getting it. Now they're getting it. They didn't accept Saul. 
Now there's some Gentile kind of people being converted to Jesus Christ. And what does the church at Jerusalem do? The right thing. They send Barnabas to Antioch. Go help out these Hellenists. Why Barnabas? Over 5,000 people make up the church at Jerusalem at this point. Why Barnabas? Because Barnabas was a Barnabas. He was the son of encouragement. Because they knew not, not like other people might, he was going to see the positives and not just negatives about life in Christ. He's going to encourage them. Verse 23, he came and he saw the grace of God and was glad, and he exhorted. Literally, that word is the word encouragement in the Greek. He encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. But Barnabas doesn't stop there, does he? He helps the people in Antioch, and he's involved in the teamwork between them and the church in Jerusalem. But he's not happy and contented just with that. More, more encouragement can be given. So who does, Paul, uh, who does uh, uh, Barnabas think of with regard to who can give more encouragement to the Antioch brethren? Who would that be? I wonder who that would be. I got it. Saul. Can you believe that? <laughs> Saul? Of all people, he chooses Saul. Saul went to Tarsus to, I mean, uh, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. The last one most people would have ever thought about asking for any kind of help, right? Have you ever considered the question, why is he in Tarsus? Pretty much raised in Jerusalem. The only people that lived in Tarsus were the parents that sent him to school in Jerusalem. He goes back to Tarsus, no doubt, because Jerusalem is not a place for him, being a Christian. The apostles don't ask for Saul. Faithful members in Jerusalem don't ask for Saul. Only Barnabas, still on the side of the rejected. Can you imagine the encouragement that that must have meant to Saul? When, Anani uh, when uh, Barnabas comes there to Tarsus and he says, I need you over in Antioch because you can help the work. When you have been rejected in other places. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now notice Barnabas isn't self-seeking in all this. He's not... He's not suspecting, he doesn't have evil suspicions that Saul's going to overshadow him, and what's that going to mean for me now? Instead, he is encouraging Saul to be all that God had created Saul to be. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is awfully important for Christians still today. It's not who's going to eclipse us. It's not about my own self-preservation it is all about helping others to be all that God has born them to be. When we fail in that, we will fail in encouragement. Every single time, we must get out of self and into others. Or there can be no encouragement like we're seeing here in this storyline. Saul begins to get his footing through all of this that Barnabas has done for him. He realizes the work that God has called him to do. 
I ask you a question this morning. Who might Saul have been without Barnabas? Maybe God would have used somebody else. I get it, but it was Barnabas he used. Joseph that he used. Joseph's willing to be that person. For that matter, what would the other apostles have looked like without Barnabas? What about the church in Jerusalem? What about here now in Antioch? Without an encourager like Barnabas, God's people are dry and filled with failure. We must be encouragers, one of another, because God is an encouraging God. And this is an emphasis within our Christian walk. Look at the impact that he has because of one great desire in his life, to be one who encourages other people in Christ. Is there any higher calling? How all of God's leaders in the church, in families, need to replicate the attitude of our brother Barnabas. Barnabas encouraged teamwork among those who knew him. Look at chapter 11, verse 27, just briefly. It's, it's only a side point, and we'll move on. Now, in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, verse 28, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold this, uh, by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world, over the whole world. You know what it's called? Climate change. Anyway, <laughs> verse 29, So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Gentile to Jews. Wall broken down. Why? Because Partly because of Barnabas. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Of course, who better to send than this team? They're making quite an impact for God in the kingdom. Now listen, this is more than a history lesson. Can we be encouragers like Barnabas? That's the point. Holding our things more loosely, doing whatever it takes to share with those brethren who might be in need, as we've read about. Learning to, con to uh, uh, confirm the outcast, the dejected. Can we be the one who assists someone who is needing help of joining in with God's people, being for them as Barnabas was for Brother Saul? or Paul at his conversion. Can we be a, a teamwork encourager among God's family, including others, saying thank you, giving credit to others where credit is, is actually deserved? Where, can we do more than, than you know, having others join in rather than just on our own? Sharing joy together, encouraging leadership, being a mentor, to one, a mentor to one who, who needs you, as Barnabas was to others. And this last point I'm going to run through very, very quickly. You'll have to try to keep up with this. Encourager of second chances. Uh, I, I wanted to brief, briefly speak on it. Uh, I want to speak on it more full, fully, but I'm going to briefly speak on it for just a second. The next time that we read of Barnabas is in chapter 13, when he and Paul are, are teamed up for a missionary journey with John Mark. John Mark goes with them. And it is during this journey that, uh, with John Mark that John Mark turns back. He leaves them. Leaves them alone to do the work on their own, refusing to complete the trip that he had committed to. And it, le it leaves a bad feeling 
of distrust in Brother Paul. But in Barnabas, we see all the compassion that Christians are to have toward one another. Barnabas is a man of second chances and forgiveness. I'm not saying Paul wasn't, that Paul held a grudge. I think Paul just didn't trust him anymore. And he proved he shouldn't be trusted. But you know what? Paul shouldn't have been trusted when he was going by the name of Saul and Barnabas helped him come into the brethren. Something to be said for being a people of forgiveness and second chances. When one of your brethren has failed, be the first one to reach out in forgiveness. Strengthening, protecting, guarding one another. Others may not see them the same, but you do. And the reason that you do is because your name could just as well be Barnabas, the son or child of encouragement. Everybody needs somebody like that to stabilize them among God's people. I'm calling on you to be that one. Every single one of us can be that one. You see, encouragement is a gift from God. And every person can develop that gift. I know we have a variety of gifts. I get it. Some of those gifts, they're not a variety. They are the gift everybody is given. This is one of those kind of gifts. Some may have to work at it harder. I get it. We are ingrained and we become people who are more like the world than we are like God if we're not thoughtful and careful. And what, what we're being taught this morning is that's not an option for us. The only option to please God is to be more like God who is great in His encouragement. He pushes us onward even when we have failed, even when we have done wrong, even when we don't think we can go any further. He continues to encourage us to be more, to reach higher. It is one of the highest duties of every Christian to be an encourager, no matter where you go in this world, no matter your current station in life, no matter how old you may grow to be or how young you are in the present, it is always proper to remember to encourage. We live in a world that's filled with discouragement, don't we? But God's people are blessed. We're blessed with and are megaphones of encouragement from God and God's family. God still uses people the way he used Barnabas. He still does it. That person should be you and me. We are, are we allowing ourselves to be used that way? Who was Barnabas anyway? Was Barnabas an apostle of Jesus Christ? Nope. Sure was not. Was Barnabas an elder in the church at Jerusalem or some other church? Maybe Antioch? Nope, not to our knowledge. He's never mentioned that way. Was Barnabas a deacon? Nope. He wasn't from among the six that we see chosen first as deacons in the church. Who was Barnabas? Barnabas was just a Christian. He was a Christian. More than that, he was a faithful Christian. He cared more about what God wanted from him than he cared about anything else in his life. 
And it overflowed into every area. Every time we read of him, he's doing something encouraging. Every single time. That should be true for you and me as well. You don't have to have a title to be a leader in things like encouragement. That's something we all can share one with another. And we all have that gift and that talent given to us from God. It starts with thankfulness. A person who isn't thankful can never be an encourager. But the more thankful we are, the more encouraging we will find ourselves. What has the Lord done for you? Start there and let it bubble up and let it overflow into this thing that we've read about and studied on today called encouragement. Because it can't help but do that. The more thankful you are, the more encouraging you are. You don't become a Christian by being an encourager or by being thankful. You become a Christian only through Jesus Christ. And Paul and Barnabas, just as Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, encouraged those who were lost to be saved through repentance and baptism. That same message is still here today. We're still preaching and teaching that same message as a church of Jesus Christ. Once having become a Christian, there is nothing that we are called to more than being a person of great encouragement and joy in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're subject to that call this morning. If you need to respond to God's call of repentance, find yourself in joy, find yourself as one who is an encourager rather than a discourager, God brings that to life in us. Only God brings that to life in us. If you're ready to be subject to that, His call this morning, come forward. We'll help you in the next step while together we stand and as we sing.